Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our study uh, through this little book, Philippians, a study we're calling Still Joyful. And find Philippians chapter 2. We come this morning to an awesome passage of Scripture. In fact, one scholar that I read this past week wrote, these seven verses have received more attention from New Testament scholars and Christian theologians than any other passage in Philippians and easily qualify for inclusion among the most hotly debated passages in the Bible. John MacArthur said it has been called a Christological gem, a theological diamond that perhaps sparkles brighter than any other in Scripture. In a simple, brief, yet extraordinary, profound way, it describes the condescension of the second person of the Trinity to be born, to live, and to die in human form to provide redemption for fallen mankind. James Montgomery Voice said, They teach the divinity of Christ, His pre-existence, His equality with God the Father, His incarnation and true humanity, His voluntary death on the cross, the certainty of His ultimate triumph over evil, and the permanence of His reign. In all reality, beloved, the passage we're going to study this morning, it, 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 it takes us from eternity past all the way into eternity future. And to be truthful, I'm hesitant to preach on this passage today. For I I fear that lest I speak and I take away some of the wonder, some of the sparkle of this theological diamond. But as it falls in the book we're currently studying, we're going to take it up today. We're going to take it up with the prayer that would rightly divide it. There's been so much written on this passage, so much written on it. So much detail. So what I want to do today is I want to read it to you out of several different translations, something a little bit different today. And I want you to listen because I think each one of these maybe highlights maybe something a little bit different. They all teach the same thing, but maybe a word or a phrase said a little bit different that will help us all to better understand it. So I want you to listen today. I'm going to begin reading, of course. Here out of the King James, then I'm going to read to you from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, then the New Living Translation and the Message. And I want you to listen. Whatever you have to do, if closing your eyes helps. But I want you to focus on the words today as I read. I'll read first out of the King James, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth. And things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, from the Holman Christian standard, listen, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. 
Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, the new living translation. Listen, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And finally, the message, listen. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is master of all to the glorious honor of God, the father. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're so good to us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us right now to quiet our hearts as we listen and learn from this wonderful passage of Scripture. As we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see what he has done for us. Father, I pray that you would work in a mighty way today. Help me to rightly divide this passage of Scripture. For your glory in Jesus name. Amen. This passage, as you've already noticed from the reading of those various translations, is rich Christologically and theologically. It is an awesome passage of scripture. But I want us to remember where it's found and why it was written. It's found, of course, in Philippians, the book of Philippians. And Paul here has just exhorted the Philippians to live a life of unity. A life of humility, a life of unselfishness, 
Go back and read those first four verses that come before that passage we read today. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you may be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things. But every man also the things of others, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's exhorted them to live a life of unity and unselfishness and humility. And what he does now is give the supreme example of such a life, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse five to have the same mind or the same attitude that Jesus had. Now, what kind of life did Jesus live when he lived upon the earth? Guy King said he he had a selfless mind, he had a sacrificial mind, and he had a serving mind. In other words, the Lord Jesus consistently thought of other people. And Paul is calling for unity here in the church at Philippi. If you go to chapter 4 and verse 2, there seemed to be a little ruffle there between two ladies. Chapter 4 and verse 2 says, I beseech you, odious. And beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. What they were disagreeing about, we don't know. How far it spread, we don't know. But he calls for unity. He calls for unity even back in the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then in chapter two, he develops that theme and says, hey, stand fast. Don't have strife and selfish ambition and empty glory and vain glory, but stand fast. Consider other people, esteem others better than yourselves. And then he brings Christ and he says, this is the supreme example of humility. You cannot read the life of the Lord Jesus and not see that without you cannot do it and not notice it. John 13, 12 through 17 says this about the Lord. After he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I've done to you. Ye call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. You should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. A lesson we ought to learn when it comes to God is this. The way up is down. The way up is down. Before the crown came the cross. We even saw that in the life of Joseph that we spent so many weeks studying. You remember? We saw that he eventually reached the palace, but before he reached the palace, he had to go through what? He had to go through the pit and the prison. He was brought low before he was exalted. The Lord Jesus came and he was brought low to the cross, to Calvary, to death, to the tomb. But then he was exalted, resurrected. And he's exalted forevermore. He's the greatest example. Now, David Jeremiah said this. While the story of the cross is recorded in the Gospels and explained in the epistles, it's only in this passage 
We see the crucifixion through the eyes of Jesus Christ himself. We see it through his eyes. We're given this glimpse of his perspective so we might see the price that must be paid for unity. Nothing less than death. He says it's a willingness to turn totally away from our own prerogatives in order that we might focus on the needs of others. No one has ever done that like Jesus Christ did. So he's the supreme example, the Lord Jesus. Let's look at his example today. We're going to see his example in his incarnation, his crucifixion, and his exaltation. Let's talk, first of all, about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 and 7. Who, being in the form of God... Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The incarnation. Now, that word incarnation may not be a word that you use on a daily basis, but all of us need to understand what it means theologically. Let me give you a very real basic definition. Some of you who studied the gospel of John with us on Wednesday nights may remember this. Here's what it means. Jesus. Who is God became man without ceasing to be God. Let me say it again. Jesus, who is God, became man without ceasing to be God. In fact, we celebrate the incarnation every single year. And it's the holiday we call what? Christmas. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. We've got to be careful. Be careful here to remember, as Ray Lauren put it. Jesus had a deity that was pre-human, pre-earthly, pre-Bethlehem, and pre-Mary. We're speaking, of course, about the pre-existence of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 says it this way, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Notice verse six in our passage, who being in the form of God, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, what does that mean? John MacArthur is going to help us much in these verses to get behind our English translation, understand exactly what the Greek is teaching. He tells us here that the Greek word for being, who being the form of God, the Greek word for being, the usual Greek word is not used here. Instead, Paul chose another term that stresses the essence or the continuous state or condition, the continuous state or condition. That is, he is God, the essential, unchanging character of something. He is God. In other words, did Jesus begin life at Bethlehem? No. In fact, Micah 5, 2 says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall be shall he come forth unto me. That is to be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Some would say, well, was Jesus created when the universe was created? John 17, 5 says, and now, now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Before there was any creation that we see and experience today. Some would say that Jesus lived before the prophets. John 8, 58 says, Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he has always been and will always be. He is eternal. 
pre-Mary, pre-earth, pre-Bethlehem. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation. Now, the next part, listen now, stay with me. The next part of verse six, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That word equal there means things that are exactly the same in size, quantity, quality, character, number. In other words, Jesus is equal to God. He's equal to God because he is God. It says he thought it not robbery. That is a thing seized by robbery. Something clutched, something embraced, something prized, something held on to. Though Christ had all the rights and privileges and honors of deity, he decided to lay aside many of those privileges and not cling to them and come and make himself of no reputation, take upon him the form of a servant, the form of an earthly body, a human body. We have it there. Look at verse seven. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The incarnation. Think about it. God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Came. And took upon himself flesh. No reputation. MacArthur says this was not an emptying of himself of his deity. He didn't set aside his deity. He was still God, God of the flesh. He did set aside his privileges. He mentions five areas. First of all, he set aside his heavenly glory. While on earth, he gave up the glory of a face to face relationship with God and the continuous outward display and personal enjoyment of that glory. He gave up his independent authority. He says during his incarnation, Christ completely submitted himself to the will of his father. He set aside his divine prerogatives. He set aside the voluntary display of his divine attributes and submitted himself to the spirit's direction. Fourthly, he set aside his eternal riches while on earth. He owned very little that was poor and he set aside a favorable relationship with God. In other words, he felt the father's wrath for human sin as he died on that rugged cross for you and for me. Think about this. God, the Lord Jesus, setting aside many of those privileges and prerogatives and those rights that he had and came to die for us. The form of a bondservant, a slave. We think about it each Christmas. He didn't come. He was not born in the palace. He was not born to the king. He was born in a lowly barn. Among filthy, dirty animals. He was put in a feed trough. God. In likeness of men. You see, Christ became more than God in the human body. He took on the attributes of humanity. He, he knew the basic needs. We know he knew what it was to hunger. And to thirst. We know that he knew what it was to grow weary and tired. He knew what it was to hurt and to feel pain. He became the God man, fully God and fully man, the God man. The words of the hymn writer called it when she wrote, thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home, there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal decree. 
But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth and in great humility. The foxes found rest and the birds their nest in the shade of the forest tree. But thou couch was the sod, O thou son of God of the deserts of Galilee. Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy people free. But with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. Which brings us to our second point this morning. That last stanza leads to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, think about it. He's already humbled himself in the incarnation. He took upon himself a human body. He became the God man, fully God, fully man. And now he's going to step even lower. He became obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, the worst possible death there is, the death of the cross. Now, beloved, why did he do this? He had never sinned. He never lied. He'd never stolen. He'd never cheated. He'd never cursed. He never had a lustful or hateful thought in his whole life. He never harmed anyone by act or deed or word. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He was God. He created the very ones who mocked him. He created the very ones who spat upon him. He created the very ones who nailed him to that cross. Why, why, why did he do this? Because he loved you and me. The songwriter said, why did they nail him to Calvary's tree? Why, tell me, why was he there? Jesus, the helper, the healer, the friend. Why, tell me, why? Was he there? Why should he love me, a sinner undone? Why, tell me, why should he care? I I do not merit the love he has shown. Why, tell me, why should he care? Why should I linger afar from his love? Why, tell me, why should I fear? Somehow I know I should venture and prove. Why, tell me, why should I fear? And the chorus goes, all my iniquities on him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus, the debt of my sin fully paid, he paid the ransom for me. He humbled himself in the incarnation. That is taking upon him humanity, the God man, walking as a man among men. And yet he humbled himself even more as he became obedient To the point of death. And then not just any death. The death of the cross. But praise be to God. The story does not end there. Because we have next the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. One writer said his exaltation was fourfold. First of all, he was exalted through his resurrection from the dead. He's no longer in the tomb. He's no longer on the cross. He arose victorious. 
Secondly, he says his exaltation included his ascension back to heaven. The disciples stood and watched as he ascended back to heaven. And the angel said to them, why stand ye gazing here into the sky? This same Jesus is coming again. Thirdly, his coronation as king. And fourth, his intercession as high priest. In other words, beloved, he is the prophet, priest and king. Look back at the text. It says that God have exalted him and given him a name above every name. Now, name, I'm told here, is used in the sense of the Old Testament. It represents the total person. It bespeaks of his office, his rank, his dignity because of the position he holds. Notice what it says. He has a name above every name, every name. Every other name's below his name. It says every name will be bowed before him in submission. Every tongue will confess him Lord. That is acknowledge his sovereignty. And it's all done, it says there in verse 11, to the glory of God the Father, which was his life's aim. Now I want you to notice there are no exceptions here. Notice what it says in verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Notice there the word things is in italics added by the translators to help us understand. Let's take them out and read it again. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth. All persons, the angels, the demons, humans will confess him as Lord. Those who hated him, those who despise him, those who rejected him as savior will one day acknowledge him as Lord. Those who love him as Savior and Lord will again acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, I want to ask you today, friend, which camp are you in? Which camp are you in today? You can settle for all eternity. You can repent of your sin and receive him as your own Lord and Savior. We know the Bible tells us one day everybody's going to acknowledge that he is Lord. But sadly, many will have rejected them in their life and spend an eternity apart from him in hell, the lake of fire. But they will acknowledge his lordship. Friend, my prayer today is if you're here and you do not know Jesus as your own Lord and Savior, that today you'll recognize that you're a sinner, you're undone, you cannot save yourself. You're you're destined for hell, but realize again that here is the Lord in his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation. He did this for you. He did this that you might live. And today, as you repent of your sin and turn to him in faith, you can have eternal life. Today, friend, today. As we think about. The context of this passage here in Philippians, Paul has called them to a life of unity and humility and unselfishness. And and when you look at the life of the Lord Jesus, how could the Philippians do otherwise than live such a life? Furthermore, as we look at it today, how can we do otherwise 
When God says, I want you to live a life of unity and humility and unselfishness. And I want you to look at my son and see what he did. How can we do anything less than live a life of humility and unity and unselfishness? The way up is down. Do you want to be great? Then be a servant. That's the way to greatness. After he'd washed their feet. He'd taken his garments, was set down again. He said to them, know you what I've done to you. You call me master, Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, and you we do, happy are you. If you do them. I was thinking about this early this morning. I was thinking about this passage. I thought about that little chorus. You may know it. You may not. I began to sing it silently to myself last night. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He is. As I thought about that, beloved, I thought... What is the Lord Jesus saying to you today? He is Lord. He is Master. He's the supreme example of humility. To some he's saying here today, Come unto me, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Come to me. I purchased your pardon. I shed my precious blood that you might live. Turn from your sin to me. I am Lord. I am Savior. I'm the Messiah. I want to give to you eternal life. As you place your faith in me alone. And he says that to some seated here today. that have never experienced the new birth. He says to you today. Come unto me. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you a pardon from sin. I'll give you a home in heaven. Will you listen to him? To others here today, he is Lord's maybe saying to some. You've never followed me in obedience by being baptized. He's saying, come to others. He may be saying today, I want you to join with this local church. If he's saying that, would you come to others? He's saying, I'm Lord. And yet you're living a life. That is not pleasing to me. You're my child. But you're living a life. With unconfessed sin. He's saying today. Confess that sin. And as first John says. I'm faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. From all unrighteousness. To some here today. He may be saying. I want you to serve me. In full time ministry. Where they might be saying to a man somewhere. I want you to be a pastor. Might be saying to a couple, I want you to be a missionary. 
or missionaries for me. You see, beloved, he is Lord. And we are to submit to his lordship in our lives. To some, he might be saying today, you know, I want you to speak to so and so about me. You know, I want you to witness to that person. See, the real question today is this. Will we yield to his lordship? Will we say, yes, Lord, and follow him? I shudder to think today, friends, in closing, that anyone here who has heard the gospel clearly and probably many, many, many times has heard the gospel would reject the Lord Jesus and go to hell and spend an eternity apart from him. And yet acknowledge him too late, but acknowledge him as Lord. Is he your Lord today? Before we pray, I want to sing a little chorus again. You know it, you can sing it with me. And as you sing, would you do so prayerfully? Saying, Lord, I surrender to you. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, He is. And I pray right now in this invitation... That folks would be submissive to your leading. I pray some folks would be saved. I pray some others would surrender some various issues and areas of their life. I pray that some would turn their backs on sin. Lord, I pray today you would call somebody into full-time ministry for you. Lord, I pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen.